Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you are listening to The Bill Podcast, brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, mcgoldrickwatchrepairs.com, and Misty Moon Events. For over 60 hours of exclusive The Bill-related content, including reunion highlights, cast and crew commentaries, reaction videos, pilgrimage location videos, off-the-beat bonus podcasts, and much more, join the investigation from £2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash the build podcast Doctor Who was made where you had rehearsals and then went and did it in the studio that was completely different from the way the bill was made. That's right, yeah. And the way things are now. I mean, for instance, Vera, which was one of the last things I did, my agent had a new assistant, and he phoned up, and they offered me a fee. I can't remember what it was now. But he said, um, it doesn't sound too good to me. And I said, well, it's only going to be an hour or two's work, so I think it sounds okay. My agent was having two or three days off, and she phoned up said, I've got me another £150. I said, did you ask for it? She said, no, they phoned up and offered it, but they want you to go to the read-through in London. I said, well, I'd like to go to the read-through. You meet people, get an idea. And they sent me a ticket and all that. I went to the read-through and sat next to Lynn Farley. Now, she and I had both read the script. We sat there and listened to the read-through, and she said to me, have you got any idea what's going on? <laughs> and I, I said, no. The point you make is that you never, you only do it a bit, and sometimes you don't even play a scene. And that's what I rather liked about the first bit I did, which was done under old stuff. It's really quite a long scene by modern standards with uh, explaining to Galloway that he can't yeah. arrest this guy because of the diplomatic. But at least you get to, whereas if something goes slightly wrong, not necessarily an actor, they'll say, we'll pick it up from where Fred says... And you lost the rhythm, and it says, I tried it. That's in a way why I prefer theatre. Although I was interested to read Colin Firth quoting the saying that film acting was a great test because, you know, you might be sitting around for hours and then you're expecting to switch on to be, to be real. Whereas at least in a, in a play where you're doing a scene, whether it's television or theatre, you're continuously in the... And you can make sense of it, but... Uh, I mean, I, I did a television years ago, Crown Court, in which uh, a, a guy uh, playing a trawler captain, got his name there, but he'd been, he was a Leeds actor, he was more a comedian than he'd been. And people said to him afterwards, he told me that his reactions were terrific in that scene when they said so and so. He said, Well, they were my reactions, but I wasn't reacting to what was said. The director just did a whole series of shots of me pulling different faces. It's in the middle. No. In that uh, drugs raid, that's that lovely long scene with a diplomatic immunity. I mean, I think John Salterhouse is right. You just know he's a time bomb waiting. I know, I know. You can't do anything about it. Yes, it's interesting. I thought, God, if if I was him, I'd want to punch me. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know whether this was a good choice or not, but I'm sitting there, like Jerry, sitting there, as if, you know, you've, you've, 
peasants who really don't understand the niceties of diplomatic relationships. The fact that he's killed half half the kids in your estate with error is beside the point. I mean, yeah. got, and I felt myself, I thought, where is he surviving? Am I smiling? Because I'm a smug bastard, that's what. Yeah. I knew John Saltel slightly before that because we shared an age and his partner and wife. Because he was probably most famous for Abby Girl's party. But I don't know what he did. Did he continue much after that? Yeah, he, he did. He doesn't really do anything now by choice. But Bill shot him to such stardom that he found it uncomfortable. Did he? Yeah. And he's a fairly distinctive because of his hair. Yeah. So he yeah. sort of hide in the crowd very easily. I was a contemporary in, in the. Youth Theatre became the National Youth Theatre of Robin Ellis, the first Paul Dark. How did he live in France and sort of stop doing it? And in fact, he's his younger, much younger brother, Jack Ellis, was in Bad Girls. Of it? course. Yeah. 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 But Robin, I mean, it was choice. He came back, I think, to the new Paul Dark and did a, some sort of guest appearance. I was just reading an interview, I think it was Ben Wishaw. Ah, love, love, yeah. He's a terrific actor, but I mean, he says he's incredibly shy and nervous. And, you know, the, his biggest nightmare is someone might ask him to make an impromptu speech at a wedding. He said, I wanted to do the stuff, but I didn't really buy in for. And he's probably, despite the excellent and top high level work he's done, probably not as recognizable as John Shorthouse. No, no. What's the strangest place you've been recognised or the strangest fans or request or encounter you've had? Well, despite your talking me up, I mean, I'm not recognised that. I'm not quite like John, you know. I, I mean, I have the anonymity that he desires. Are you Roman Oliver or something? He said to me in a, a shop. But she'd see me on the stage, not on television. Oh. Yeah, she said, I said, yes. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, quite, it's quite gratifying. Yeah. I said, I went to Scotland up in the 70s. Billy Connolly was around the Travis Head and written a play. And uh, one of my colleagues, or another actor, slightly patronising, not really mean to say to Billy, well, you know, you have to, the price of fame. And Billy was, I'm really impressed with him. He said, I'm very well aware of the responsibilities I have. I thought he was a good guy as well. Yeah. I'm glad you. Uh... Already knew Peter Ellis because I, I think he's wonderful. Peter, I, I, he's a. Well, I can tell you a story about Peter Ellis. Oh yes, story. Yeah, we first met with a friend of mine from university called Chris Parr. Became the fellow in theatre at Bradford University. Bradford University is a technological university. When they decided to have a fellow in music, fellow in theatre, and Chris set up execute curricular staff and invited playwrights who became famous like David Edgar, Alan Brenton to write plays. But he also thought, I'm going to start a professional theatre. So we had three plays, and at one place, we must do a local writer's play. So I won't mention the play because of what I'm about to say. But this play was not that good, we didn't think. And Peter played the lead. It was set in the Chartist movement, and it was set in Bradford. And the day before we opened, he sat in the dressing room with the script. He went, well, that's rubbish. Cross the cup. He said, I don't know that. And he cut pages of the stuff. I mean, he didn't cut my bits, but you know, his own bits. So when I played scenes with him, he said, and then I I was a sort of fleering 
uh, newspaper reporter. And I began the second half with him in his, he was a publican, did I say that? And so they forgot to call me. So one of my colleagues, it's actually Steph me turned there, he became the first junior. He said, Brown, you're running, you're off, you're off. So I rushed on stage. I'm this creature standing here, calmly polishing glasses. Since you took your time. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not supposed to know I'm coming, but never. <laughs> no, it's not. He and I, you can imagine this, and probably with your other colleagues. I mean, when you work with that, if you get with an actor or actresses, you get on well, you become not quite like a family, but a team. Yeah. And Peter and I were pretty familiar. I even stayed in his household, and I did something he did for the local. He had a local company, he did some short version of Coriolanus, and I stayed with him. Then when I worked on the bill, we were perfectly friendly, but he didn't become a, a mate in the sense of continuing. And uh, last time I saw him, he played Sorin in Cherry Orchard in the Bristol Old Vic, which is the older guy in Chekhov Cherry Orchard. A few years later, you got invited back for another guest part in the bill in The Story Waste. Oh, well, yeah, I can tell you about it. Well, Waste, I mean, I do remember, and you reminded me, that my main memory is being shouted at face-to-face by Chris Ellison. But my agent explained to me that uh, the whatever the normal weekly fee was for the bill, I wasn't going to get that because I wasn't needed all week. And then I would get £375, which I was a bit disappointed. Because uh, that only sounds quite a lot of money for a day or two's work. Nevertheless, you mean you'd be waiting for the job and you'll. Anyway, very shortly after that, uh, somebody phoned my agent to offer me a one scene part in the new drama series being made for Anglia. And she said to my agent's assistant, It's an offer, so he doesn't have to audition or anything, but it's not a huge part. Uh, so ask him about it. And in the meantime, can you tell me what sort of fee? The person who answered the phone didn't normally deal with money. She would have got it. And she had no idea, but she didn't want to look a fool. So she said, well, I have a word with him, but he's just done the bill. I know he got 375 for that. And the casting director said, oh, yeah, we couldn't possibly pay him as much as that. And so my agent's sister said, well, how much could you pay him? She said, well, we couldn't pay him more than 2000 <laughs> so learning fast, she said, no, I think that'll do. I was finished by lunchtime on this time. I mean, I, I think it was a bit complicated. I had to be available for her. But, but finished by lunchtime and the show was called Anything More Would Be Greedy. <laughs> and and I thought, how did she interpret 375 as 3,750? If I'd been paid 400... <laughs> I got 400. Oh, well, we, we could give him 500. Yeah. And, and I said to my wife, I said, these sort of sums of money, I mean, two grand, even today for a day's work, would be a, what do proper actors get? And my wife said, well, maybe just this one, sure, a proper actor. Oh. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it, it did, it wasn't that long after Waste that you joined. As a, was it fair to call you a semi-regular? How did it work? What, what well, with, like... with Corey. Yeah. 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 Well, it, as I said to your mate Toby, it's, I'm still, it rankles. And I explained why I was offered one uh, one episode, which is if you start with a whistle, 
which had played Corrie, and he had a sort of beginning, a middle, and then nice play, got people's names wrong, made a silly decision, and right, it fell over in the street as well, which was never shown. Though. And Peter Wolfe, or Wolfe is her, the producer at that time, saw me in the green room. He said, my hero, come and look at this. And he showed me some rushes. He said, this is wonderful. It's so different from what we usually have. Thank, I'd really like to have you back if the opportunity arises. And just absolutely honest, I thought no more about it. You know, that's what he said. A few weeks later, my agent called and said, how would you like to be the sergeant in the bill? Because they're giving the two regular Eric Richard and Larry Dan time off, in both cases, to do theatre. So they needed a rest. So they need, and as they like what you did before, they're calling you in. They even asked me to start a week early after I'd read the job. Although that episode, I said nothing in, other words, the background. And what happened, or rather didn't happen, is I was, I was hired for six, seven weeks and I was paid. I spent a lot of time sitting out. No one filled me in on what was going on. There was not a lot that was individual to the personality of the character that I thought I was playing. I'd be talking on the radio or whatever. At that time, they had a guy who was a coordinator before computers really took over, and he had in his office a whole range of A4s on the wall and what episode's going to be done next to in it. And he said to me, you'll do that one, because Larry's not back yet, and you will do that one. So I thought, well, a couple of nice storylines with me as the sergeant. They were postponed. My character was never explained. Nobody said, this is Sergeant Corey's come over from Camberwell to give us a hand or whatever. Stephen Churchill, I mentioned, wrote a couple of nice scenes for me because he knew what the character was and he knew me. I got a letter from one director during that saying, we've cut your very nice scene. Nothing wrong with the scene, but it's too, the episode's too long. It never kind of took off. And then my agent phoned out and said, oh, the cast of has been on all the new cast, and they're not continuing the character afterwards. I was miffed. Not so much that they weren't continuing the character, but they hadn't used him. And I phoned Peter Wolf to Wolfis and complained. And he said, well, I don't think we've served you very well because we haven't written stuff for it. You better have a word with Michael. Michael Chapman was his own producer. He was deeply unsympathetic. He was an ex-military man. He said, I hear you're a bit disenchanted about what's happened to your character. I can understand not able to exercise craft skills and so on, but uh, I have to explain to you that we don't employ scriptwriters, we employ playwrights, and if the character doesn't fire their imagination, then that's unfortunate. And anyway, let's be honest, he said, sergeants are 28, they're not your age. <laughs> Uh, as my mother-in-law said to me, well, you're only a few weeks older than you were when they hired you. <laughs> and the sergeants are doing... Uh, it wasn't as if I'd come in cold. I mean, they'd sit... I'd, I'd done that, as it were, a public audition. They'd like yeah. it. So I thought, I was, if it had only been six weeks, that was fine. I wasn't expecting to be a regular, but I thought for six weeks, I'd be the sergeant in the bill, and if it works, and they can... And it... But it didn't. And also, I missed another nice job because I wasn't available, although as it happened, but I could have fitted it in. But we didn't know that. And also, friends, after it started me showing, he said, oh, they're preparing for you to be in the bill. Sergeant Pete has just been stabbed or whatever. You know, that's a... Yeah, yeah. 
No, so uh, that's what a note that he, you talked about lack of self He's damaged my self-esteem. I felt undervalued. Yeah. I felt that that wasn't, it was a long time ago. I've nearly got over it. Well, you you deserve better. If it makes you feel any better, at that time, the program seemed to be in real disarray organisationally, and there were a lot of characters who suffered at this time. Right. Uh, either not being written for, or characters who either disappeared, or they'd make an impression, and then the writers wouldn't write for them. It's interesting that J.C. Wilshire wrote you wrote your first one and then wrote yeah. that nice scene in joey where you had the nice scene with the the young lad oh um, yeah this that of a custody scene so it was clearly writers who because may, maybe it was just not really like sort of communicated that i i'm sure you're right i don't i, I think he was cock up rather than conspiracy i mean when i was talking to michael chapman i said there's no point in continuing this conversation is it and he said that but i mean jc Welsh he invented the character I didn't. Yeah. I mean, he wrote it. You would have thought that there would have been some sort of strip conference. So we're bringing Corrie back. People don't have the faintest idea where he's come from. Let's let's give him a little bit of a bio. Was it down to you to bring him to life, really? I mean, the personality was clear enough from the script, the first one. I mean, I seem to remember, as I said, that he was trying to be a nice guy. And I think he got people's names wrong and things like that. Yeah. And so it was, you know, you think, and, and bits you agree, he won't last. Which yeah, was yeah. a good, uh, so <laughs> I wasn't expecting to last in one sense, but I thought that they might um, go out in the blaze of failure, as it were. But it's interesting that there was a scene that you fell over, that there was a sort of denouement of an episode. That we'd... It was, yeah, I, think, I can't remember, he made a silly decision. And then, because, it were, because they brought me back, it, was, it wasn't shown that. De nouveau, that one episode I had a little story, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and got. I would have been perfectly happy with that. Don't misunderstand. I wasn't expecting it. That, that's fair enough. Great. But then they brought me back, and you can imagine. I mean, I was buying a house. I remember I was buying a house. I mean, I was each, well, if, if it goes into it, I'm earning whatever it is. I mean, the, the money wasn't wonderful. It was more than I was used to. And some of these guys, you know, were in it for 20 years, and, and I. I had a young child and a wife, and, uh, and I thought, well, oh, yeah, you know, I could buy it myself. But that's not their fault. I mean, I think you put your finger on it. There was a lack of coordination or coherent strategic thought. It's good because they, there was some continuity with, like, your, your epaulette numbers, 5-2, were consistent, so, which they didn't, again, do for every every actor. Really? You know, their, their epaulettes would change, or, or they'd give another actor's costume to someone else, so they, they clearly had yes. signed that, that, you know... I mean, what was it like wherever... I mean, I know you've played several police officers, but I always think, you know, when you when you geared up... And, oh, know, I could... I know. <laughs> this is a... Ma- I did a training video for the police, the real police, and the Hendon training, and they, uh, if you wanted to be promoted to inspector, you had to do a course and you had to have a line manager, and they showed you a video, which I played, detective and the chief superintendent, and we did it at Hendon. We had a, an inspector as an advisor who between the rehearsal and the performance retired, but that's another story. But anyway, I, I was in the, the superintendent's uniform, the equivalent of the real guy who ran it, uh, without the jacket, I mean the shirt. 
And they said, well, go in the canteen, get yourself a coffee. They said, you jump the queue because you're superintendent. I said, I can't do that. Well, I, I stood in the queue in my place, and there were various people sitting there in coffee, smoking cigarettes, reading the paper. At least three of them suddenly th- realised that they got something to do. Yeah, to their watch, put their fags out, and got up and went down. And that they didn't know who I was from Adam. It was just the uniform, the epaulette. Wow. <laughs> there was someone keeping an eye on them, and if they were thinking of skiving off, they weren't going to get away with it. The uniform talks, especially if you're a senior officer. And maybe just, just peppered in with a, uh, a nice through line to your granddad, I reckon. <laughs> yes, my granddad. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, yeah, he was a very big man. I mean, he couldn't call his face. He was in his head. I mean, when I was away, he put his one hand and we could hold my two. But he's a lovely bloke. And uh, <laughs> my mother reminded me towards the end of her life that when I was a child, I used to have a bit short of money. I better go see Granddad. Oh. <laughs> he used to slip me a few bob. Oh, I love that. My, this was my father's father. My other grandfather died. Um, his daughter, my mother, was 13, so I never knew him. Because I loved how you played him. I know that these are like, that they were small little vignettes in the episodes, but you gave such lovely, you you breathed life into it. That lovely scene where you and Nick Stringer down the corridor. and you. Oh, I see Nick occasionally, because he well, cause he's in Bristol. Yeah. yeah. That was nice. I don't know if you that thanks a bunch or whatever. <laughs> the one where I'm on the street talking to a young a police constable outside, while I was there in the uniform, somebody came and spoke to me and said, he hadn't had his bike, it was some cyclist that it is wing mirror or something. And I had to tell him, I said, I'm awfully sorry, but I'm not a real policeman. <laughs> and I, I did a, years and years before, I did a pilot for a comedy where I played a policeman cycling on a towpath of the Thames. Then I ruined the reputation of the police because I was rowing in a boat afterwards and I think I was eating a strawberry memory and smoking a cigar. And a child said to me, you're not a proper policeman. I said, how do you know? She said, you've got brown boots. <laughs> and I had, because that was a cheap thing and it was a, a pilot. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. Now, did you have like a dressing room or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yes, I can't remember. It was all, I mean, the guys were very friendly and... During the time I was there, it was John Isles was doing a play. It was a great Gatsby. And we all went off down to Brighton to see him. And one of the, I think it's the location manager's name, I've forgotten, nearly cost me a fortune because he was you know, doing a whip round for a kitty for buying the booze. And I said, hang on a minute. And I'm not staying the night. I'm not going to drive back. <laughs> it's not that I'm mean or anything. But <laughs> I was interested. Well, one thing about that, uh, the location manager's, how pleasant and how thoughtful they had to be with all the locals because he said we, we need to use locations around here and if we get a reputation for damaging their house or not being fair in the vicinity we, we pay or being rude and he said we, will, we won't be able to make the program it's like to, to advise friends and relatives never let your house or any of your property be used by a television or a film company but uh, that's not true, actually. They do, if they use people's houses, as they do a lot in all sorts of television programs, they look after it doing well. Last year, I did a TV commercial for a charity. They shot it in my house, not where I'm sitting now, but in 
kitchen. They paid for me and for the house. They paid more for the house than they did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the buyout, and they've shown it in September, maybe shown it in a charity called Sense, who look after deaf, blind people. Oh, it was a real machine, wasn't it, the way the bill was made? And it's a shame it's no longer on. They'd hire the team, not only actors, and you were on a weekly wage. So sometimes we weren't used, but that was the logical way to do it because if they had to work out the logistics of, is he available? So that's what they did, and that's why I wasn't available to do something else. But what the regular guys did, you probably know this, their ambition, they got a guaranteed number of episodes per year. You know, it worked out about one a week, 52 or something like that. What they wanted to do was getting more episodes than they were actually contracted for, because if you did more, so their ambition was to, you know, be a scene in a in the in the canteen. Hi, hi, Oliver, how are you? Yeah. And then they go home, and they're in that episode, and they had a league table, not of awards or who did the most episodes. Oh, and at the wow. time, I was there. Larry Dan was the top, right? With love her, and I can't remember. He was the top, and and it was quite a challenge. It wasn't quite Premier League, but. He's, he's winning, I've got to get a couple more in. And that was, so the, although the regulars, and regulars in all television series complain that, about not enough storylines, in the main with the bill, they, they were delighted that quite a lot of the time they had no storyline, they were just in for a cup of coffee in a scene and got another fee. I mean, it was a busy time in your career. I looked like either side of the bill, you did like four four tellies either side, so eight different programmes. It was a busy time for you. I did a lot of it. The Bill and uh, Bad Girls are the only time I've been sequential. Otherwise, I've had... I mean, I've been anything from, you know, one scene to a guest lead. You know, I've never... To being serious, I never... I sometimes uh, make an analogy with, say, a, a League One footballer. It does well good cup run, maybe he was out on loan to a championship side or a Premier League, but doesn't quite And many years ago, Peter Hall, the theatre director, said there are 30,000 members of equity and about 1,000 actors who do all the work. Now, the figures may be different, but I don't think I ever quite got into that 1,000. You know, if you see what I mean, that the, the people, you know I am because you're... But... Those actors, and don't be silly. They always say, I'm not about fame, but they're known to the people, and they get called in. Sometimes not called in, but and although there are obviously people in, in the business who know who I am or knew who I am, but most casting directors who knew who I am who know who I am are dead or retired. I think I'm right in this. You played over 100 different roles. Have I really? I did. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> when you did Casualty, there are fans on the Bill fan pages on Facebook saying, Sergeant Corey is in Casualty tonight. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not yeah. alone here. There's plenty of... That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's plenty of people. Who I think, in fact, that's the last television I did was that Casualty, the one this one I uh, played a, an old Nazi who had a death, a wonderful death scene with a mixed-race doctor. <laughs> and I think maybe casting directors think that was the real thing, you know. And I also, and then three days after that, I was in Dogs playing, uh, and someone who was suspected of being a paedophile. 
He wasn't. So I would say, Nazi and paedophile. I've done Doctor three times, but uh, this last one, this chap is suspected of being a paedophile. And what happened, he explains, is that a group of teenage girls were in the party and they punched in the name of the girl, Isabel, onto the phone. I asked that. And he came to me. He was a widower. And then I formed relationships on the telephone, advisory relationships to these teenagers, mainly girls. And, and you think, this is nonsense. That's not going to happen. It's going to be doctors. And the one of the doctors, because I've got a bad knee, comes around and talks to me, and I explain to him what's been going on. He says, what do you get out of it? I said, reason to get up in the morning. But when I watch the scene, it's not a show. It's, it's good. He's very good. And there's just two blokes talking and at ease. And I look like a, I don't look like an actor. I look like a bloke who's telling the truth. Yeah. yeah. The, the story that I was confident really. It's not every day I get to speak to someone who's played King Lear. So respect, you know, but that's, that's quite, and you've got wonderful notices of that. I that, was, that actually is one of the great experiences of my life. I mean, not where we married and becoming a father. It was not only the role, but we did it as implicit to what I said. Andrew Hilton founded this company in a disused industrial space in a not very upmarket suburb of Bristol. Another theatre company had spotted the potential show of strength there called I must give them great for theatre did something there. But he said, we'd do Shakespeare. Yeah? And George Ferguson, who owned the place, became the first mayor of Bristol architects. And he must be mad. And we opened, and you could still see the pipes on the ceiling, the heating pipes. And the seating was old church pews and chairs. And there were still, and they're still there, pillars holding up the ceiling. Uh, and we did a very good group of actors. He knew and collected them. And I played King Lear, which was a great opportunity. And But on the first Tuesday, there were more of us on the stage than there were in the audience. But the next day, we got a review in The Independent. Not only a good review, but it said the main event. And there was a great big square, but we had a photograph of me with the cover. And a long review, word of mouth went like wildfire. And by the end of the run, people were almost literally fighting for and then we did Midsummer Night's Dream, which I played bottom, which I played before. Looking back, uh, playing King Lear actually, for a time, made me a better person because I'd had a go at one of the great roles in the canon. Whether I was good, bad, or indifferent hadn't really mattered. And when I watched someone else play it, fine. I'm not jealous. I've done that. Oh, gosh, you're very good. And I became quite generous spirited whereas a lot of the time when you're well you're not doing stuff that you think you would like to do you look at something you know there's a clean up of cure uh, yeah 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 it was good and i think we certainly i mean the main credit goes to the director who set it up and is a good director so andrew but if we'd have messed it up that company and it went on to continue and i went another dozen plays with them and played hot affairs was one of them I got the best notices of my life for playing Chilitikin in Three Sisters, Chekhov play. It's an alcoholic doctor. I, I don't know off by heart, but it did start, and I'll tell you this, a supremely watchable mix of feigned insouciance and black despair. I didn't know I was doing that, but that's what the critics... That was in the 
That was in the Times. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. In fact, the, the bits I quote in my master class was John Peter in the Sunday Times. Richard II, we did. We were very good in that. There's two old dukes. There's the famous, the John of Gaunt, this royal throne of kings speech about England and Septon Isle. But he dies early on, and his brother, the Duke of York, He's a bit Sergeant Curry-like because he becomes in charge and then he, he rather messes it up. He goes, I know not what to do, he says. Is there a dream role you'd still love to get your teeth in? Well, to be brief, you know, I see I'm getting too young when I play King. Your hand said to me once, you're bouncing too much. It makes you look decades too young for the part. So I had to slow myself down. Is there a joke? Well, I, I, there's a few old men about in, in plays in the Shakespeare. I played King Lear, I played Polonius, I played Bottom. So Toby Belt? I played Toby Belt twice. I did. I don't, that's, in my view, it's not that good a part. I oh, really? Oh, why? Oh. I, I, I can tell you about Toby Belt when we did it. Uh, uh, first of all, Westcliff in, in Southend, when I was 28. I started off the world doing that sort of performance. I thought this is nonsense. Why does he? Why does he have to be fat and middle aged? He could be a rugby club bachelor of twenty. Yeah. Anyway, but when I played the second time, Lucy Black, who played uh, Olivia, Bilch challenges the guy he thinks. You know, a girl dresses up as a bloke in Twelfth Night, and then her brother turns up, and Sir Andrew is encouraged to challenge the. The effeminate one to a duel. When it comes to it, it's actually the brother that fights. Now, usually it's interrupted, but will he actually get a sword fight? And over the few weeks of the run, I was keeping fit during this sword fight, really, and I got slimmer. And one occasion, my trousers fell down, whatever, no. searching me. And Liz, he came on stage, took one look, turned round, and walked off again. She couldn't control it. <laughs> and, I, and I said to one neighbour said, I said, which night do you come? She said, oh, I'll never forget it. But no, your trousers fell. Live theatre, you see, Oliver. Yeah. Uh, I love it. How about how about uh, television? Any? Uh... What I think I'm good at is text, dialogue. I mean, I'm not a physical theatre actor and I'm not, certainly not a, a musical theatre actor. So uh, I would like to play... Well, yes, minister type of thing. I mean, whether you've got witty dialogue. And I think I could probably play aging authority figures. I'm quite, I, I can do, I mean, Corrie and some of the other things are quite, even the thinking cat, even the ex-Nazi casualty was quite cheerful. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I can do nasty if, uh, I mean, nuanced nasty, of course. You know. Well, you've got the twinkle, you know. I guess. <laughs> Yes, kind of being nice. I loved your skins when you said I've got a special on cruise missiles. Nobody fucks you with one of these. Oh, that was that was great. You see that now? There's another interesting thing. The guy who was playing the boy, he's called Oliver, I think. The director said to me, "He's a young actor. Just keep talking to him. Just make friends with him." But directors have started not seeing you for parts. You do uh, before you did self tapes. You go and you meet some. In this case, assistant cast director, we put on tape, and the director said to me, he said, I gave you the part because I thought you were from Bristol. Now, if he'd have met me, I did it sort of, slight Wiltshire sort of accent. 
he might not have cast me if he does not want me because he would have known I was some South Robin, mate. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lovely. That was a lovely little role. Yes, thing. I mean, something like Skins for a long time was the amongst my acquaintance. Well, you were in Skins, you know. Yeah. I mean, people will really be thrilled to hear your memories of a bill. Does it? Does it please you that? Sergeant Corrie lives on. Well, it, it does, and I, it's very nice to hear it, that there are people, because t for me, as I've already explained, it, it was not, it started off as a very promising and happy time, but it never materialised. I would like to repeat myself, I'm not complaining they didn't extend it, I'm complaining that there was not enough going on in the times. But it does please me, and I mean, I'd like to, I hope this one of the two things I've done since that I'm also astonished how big the what do you call it the fan base for these iconic televisions. I went in Bristol for a fee of a hundred quid to attend a Doctor Who convention and sign my photograph. And in the queue was someone I know quite well who's <laughs> an house manager at local theatre. I said, well, you, and he's paid. Yeah, I said, you can have my autograph any time you like. <laughs> I know, he says, it's not the same, because I'm getting it as part of this celebration. Oh, I love that. I love that your friend did that. Yeah, yeah. that's class. Quite right. I mean, he's, not, he's an acquaintance. He's not a close mate. But nevertheless, I, you know, all the, <laughs> I, I said, you're just going to ask me. I'll, you know, I'll sign your checks. <laughs> Well, to sum up, because this has been an absolute delight, I've just been sat having a wonderful time, so thank you. And uh, Well, thank you. What does it mean to you that your work is still being enjoyed and appreciated, or indeed discovered by, by new generations coming to it? Now? Well, I hadn't realised that it was, so I'm really grateful and delighted that you're telling me it is. And uh, it's cheered, not cheered me up, because I'm not depressed, but it bolstered my uh, self-esteem a bit, because... Uh, I never wanted to be famous or rich. I wanted to be, as I say, in that group of actors who do the work. And yes, if you look at my CV, it looks like I have. And at times I have. But I mean, I'd never forget, in the middle 90s, I did a play with Harold Pinter at Chichester that went into the West End. I got actually got billed. I mean, I was playing a supporting role. Actually, got billing outside what is now the Harold Bridges. My name was not quite in lights, but it was. For two years after that, I didn't work. Two years. And I was driving a van, and then it started again. Yeah. So, the reason it's not really answering your question, what I'm saying is that to me, it's been stop start, never really taking off. When I thought I was, when I say taking off, again, I'm not talking about. Superstar. I'm talking about getting onto that conveyor belt when you—he's an actor. Oh, yeah, sorry, me, sorry, me. And I, because of what you've said, I can say that's true of me, but not in quite the way that uh, looking at my list of credits might imply. I hope, but there's more juicy roles to come. I can say you are a superb actor, and uh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> it's true, you are. You are. It's, it's it's an absolute pleasure watching your work, and long may it continue. That's very exciting, Ashley. It's great. To... Thank you ever so much. It's my pleasure. I've had a wonderful time. They say with an actor, if uh, if you're not talking about him, he's not listening. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
in a delight. And Shelley Winters, I just finally, Shelley Winters, American film actress, she said, never marry an actor, because an actor will take you in his arms, gaze lovingly into your eyes, and tell you how wonderful he is. Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast, produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Rob Cook, Sarah Kuyper, Alex Mockler, and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Isabel Allen, Ben Ashmore, Joseph Beaver, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Dan Evans, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Simon McGoldrick, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Laura Pinifay, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Michael Weil and Sarah Went. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, mcgoldrickwatchrepairs.com and Misty Moon Events. For over 60 hours of exclusive The Bill-related content, including reunion highlights, reaction videos, cast and crew commentaries, Bill Grimmage location videos, off-the-beat bonus podcasts and much more, Join the investigation from £2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash the build podcast.